1: hello Ooh. i'm chloe i'm maura yeah, no it's nice it's nice uh this That's is good. historically badass broads wow <laughs> it's a podcast where i talk about awesome women from history that chloe and maybe other people have not heard of here's hoping Or they don't know as much about them as they're about to. Well, yeah,
0: because I guess the hope is kind of that you do know about them. But the
1: sad reality is that you might not. And the other hope is that this is fun to listen to. I was going to say that we can therefore (laughs) entertain you with stories from our lives. Yeah, because history is stories. That's what I'm learning.
0: Yes. Oh, Okay. So on the 16th of April... In 1755, Elizabeth Louise Viget was born in Paris. That name is familiar. It's perhaps more familiar with her married um, name, which is
1: Viget Lebrun.
0: And you know that
1: person. Yes, 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 we've made it. We've made it. We've made it. <laughs> this is arguably one of the first. Actually, no, I knew who Annie Oakley was, but. You Woo. did. You also. You've heard of. I've. I've covered people. You've heard of. Yeah. 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 There. There. But this there is was when you know there was.
0: Yeah. 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 And I'm excited because I there's um I've always been in love with her portraiture. I think. Spoiler alert. She's an artist. Um. I think this, You know. There's. Something so incredibly engaging about how she depicts a person. And I think normally, Oh, this is
1: going to be a fun month for the Graham.
0: Oh, the Graham she painted upwards of seven hundred portraits.
1: Um, what if this month I just post multiple times per day every day? Like, really, just switch up the. Look at this schedule. one. Then look at this one. Then look at mm-hmm. this one. And they're mm-hmm. all like so cool. Everybody unfollows within one month. Or that's my goal. That's my goal.
0: Or more people follow. <laughs> Or they think we're just a fan... They just think we're a fan account of Elizabeth Vigée-Lepin. And they just... And they,
1: and they wouldn't be too far off. They wouldn't be far off
0: because I think everyone should be a fan account for her just because she's so cool. Well, tell us why. So so she's born in 1755. She's born in Paris. Her dad, um, Louis, Louis Vigée, was a painter as well. She... Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons that I love and I haven't really thoroughly enjoyed researching her is that unlike so many other women from history, we actually have a lot of, uh, you know, writings about her. Um, she's a person of interest to other people Hmm. and unlike the vast majority of the human planet, but more the female planet, she wrote memoirs. So I had the pleasure of reading her souvenir, um, her memoir. And she is hilarious. I don't think she intended to be hilarious, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed, maybe it was the, the English translation I read where they really like leaned into her, their interpretation of her personality. Um, so we get to read it. I actually got to, at least through her own retrospective view hear about her life from her, which is something that does not ever get to happen. And I believe the only other person in the history of the Historically Badass Broads podcast who likewise had a set of memoirs would be Catherine the Great. And incredibly enough, those, these two women met and knew each other. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Small world, huh? It, the 18th century was not, the high class 18th century was not a large world. So her father was a portraitist and she, she was very complimentary of him. Whenever you read like an art historian's account, his work is fine, you know, but Mm -hmm. she's like, he was an incredible artist. And I just love that she had that, um, admiration. Yeah. Admiration and fandom for her dad. Mm -hmm. And so when she was five, she entered a convent for instruction. That was very common. Um, girls would enter a convent where they would learn the basic things, read, Mm -hmm. write, draw um and uh sewing and all the other feminine things really entertainingly enough she tells an anecdote when she was um <laughs> in the convent that she was just an innate artist and she was drawing over everything and she got in trouble for drawing on the convent walls <laughs> so i love that good for um, her good i know well done the world
1: is a canvas it isn't
0: it um And I just, I love it. (laughs) Maybe not all the time. Oh my God, I love it. So she was there for six years. So she left when she was 11. And um, she entered into another school, but um, her father died when she was 12. And I think that had a huge impact on her, um, Mm -hmm. um, her emotional development, but also her development as an artist, because he, she tells another anecdote when she was like, you know, six or seven, her father saw a sketch of a man's head that she had done and said, my God, you're an artist. Um, And so she, I think, you know, she identified with that. And there's that, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, it seems like there can be this idealism with uh, a father figure or a father who passes away young. You can keep that childlike admiration forever. And that, that definitely comes across in her memoirs. And so, um, A couple years later, her mother remarries because that was something that women had to do. It wasn't like she was probably like super jazzed that her husband died and she got to marry someone else. It was probably that. Unfortunately, women don't have a lot of job security because they weren't allowed to have jobs. So, you know, she got remarried to a jeweler, Jacques-François de Sèvres, I think. And the family moved and they moved closer to the Palais Royal and- She fucking hated her stepfather. Um, He was the worst. She, it doesn't seem like he was abusive, but it does seem like he just took advantage of the situation. Apparently he wore all of her father's clothes and didn't get them altered. So he just like wore them and they weren't fitting well. She actually says that in her memoirs and he used his personal possessions. And, you know, there's a lot of, That's very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And, but at the same time, her father's former friends were the, actually they ran in these really phenomenal artistic circles. So although the the family wasn't like unbelievably well off, they weren't poor. Um, and they weren't of, you know, they'd probably be like middle-class and, Mm -hmm. but because of the artistic circles they ran in, they actually had access to some fairly, uh, Important people. And so Joseph Vernet, which was a very, you know, who's a fairly famous painter, and Jean Baptiste Greuze was a really famous one, and Doyenne, these are all different artists who were friends of her father's who became um, advocates of hers. And that's really important. She actually learned a lot about painting from them, which is really cool because women were not allowed to take class. Mm hmm. Um, you know, there's the French Academy at the time to be a professional painter you or professional artist, for that matter. I believe you had to be a member of the guild or, um, a member at the, one of the academies. And, um, it was very difficult for a woman to be one. The, I think main French Academy did allow women, but they only allowed four at any given time <laughs> and mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to take any classes. You couldn't, um, Take advantage of really why you'd want to be a part of the academy, but you could display your work at the salon, so that was important
1: how How common is it for a woman to be an artist because if they're teaching drawing to young girls at the convent, you would expect that a relatively decent amount of young women realize that their passion was in drawing during those early years so How, 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 was it not socially acceptable? Was it socially acceptable? So it's, you could draw for fun, but you couldn't make it a living.
0: So I'm We need to frame that a little bit differently because women were something, were, were in effect a commodity that should be improved upon. So when you're a young girl, you're a blank canvas and you can learn all these skills that make you more valuable to your future husband.
1: Right, but why does drawing make you? More it's a it's an accomplishment.
0: Husband? It's an okay. accomplishment. It's something right. that someone could show off. It's a little like bit piano that you can playing
1: in in one hundred percent. Yes.
0: Yeah. Exactly.
1: And um, Louisa can play a mediocre for Elise. Yes. Truly, um, <laughs> and they're like marry her up today. Then yeah, yes, She's ready for a ring.
0: So you know, singing music. Uh, you know, playing. Uh, various instruments and drawing. These are all feminine or seen as feminine accomplishments, but they were not, women were not necessarily taken seriously. That was not, even though they were doing the same thing, they Mm -hmm. weren't, whatever they were doing wasn't as taken seriously as a man who would be doing it. For a man who's doing it, it's great. He's a genius. He's going to be a professional. For a woman, it's like, oh, she's worth more. She
1: has a hobby. Good for her.
0: Exactly. And what's something that is so, I think, incredible about Elizabeth is Elizabeth, is that she always wanted to be an artist and nothing came in her way. Truly. I mean, she, she was just, she was determined to become an artist and she had no interest in getting married necessarily and only wanted to advance her passion for her craft. And I think she wouldn't have been able to frame it in her mind that way had her father not been a passionate artist as well. Um, and she tells this anecdote of her dad that he would get so involved in painting and and such that one time he dressed up to go out to a salon with her mom and he was wearing, you know, his, his you know, fine garments. And then he had a night, he had a stroke of uh, whatever artistic genius and had to go finish his painting and he undressed a bit. So he wouldn't get paint all over his fine jacket. And when he left, he forgot to put it back on, um, just in his, you know, absent mindedness because he was so caught up in, in the work he was, uh, producing. So again, so, yeah, passion. truly. So I, I think she was able to, I think she was able to have a different perspective than most women. Um, because she grew up in an artistic household. If you mm. were a woman and you were being raised and you were being taught at a convent, you were just being taught at a convent because that was a good place for a kid to be safe and to learn right. and to and and then you know you'd leave the convent and then you'd get mm. married and you'd have all these fine accomplishments that would bring value to your husband um, mm-hmm. and maybe eventually all of your fifteen hundred children. So. <laughs> um if you're lucky um, if you're lucky or they kill you um and mm-hmm. so i think i i mean this is this is my interpretation of how she was able to have that perspective but in her memoirs there was never any doubt in her mind that she she was innately an artist and would become one and that is something i think that's not common for women at the time in fact would be extremely uncommon mm-hmm. um and I, for me yeah. the
1: the comment from her dad sticks out
0: yes Absolutely. And I it did for her.
1: That having having someone older in your life who you trust kind of validate the, you know, the seeds of talent that they see, but also the possibility that you could be that person and just to, to validate your identity as that person is huge.
0: Absolutely huge. You're right. Huge. Um, she, because she's still friends with her father's former friends and they see that she has talent and they, you know, this isn't a story where someone takes advantage of a young girl. It's, like, really refreshing. Um, <laughs> they actually want to help her grow as an artist. I don't – it's lovely. Huh. I know. I'm not used to reading that. So she had a younger brother, Etienne, um, who became – Classic. Oh, it's such a good name. Um, it's such a classic. It's it's – they're so French. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Um mm-hmm. They were living on the Rue Saint-Honoré, like everything about it. It's just stunning. Oh, it's so French. Um, <laughs> Well, they are French. I know. I love it. I love it. I want to be French so badly. Oh, it's okay. So, so she would paint her younger brother and a portrait and people saw that and were like, whoa, you're not terrible. Um, And so she started actually because of the circles her family ran in when she was in her early teens, like 14 15 she's actually painting professional portraits for people she just decided to become a professional and again there were these like very strict hierarchical structures in france specifically and in paris to ensure that the right people were doing the right kind of art and you know there was a guild you had to be you had to be a member of and there was um or you had to be a member of one of the academies. And she wasn't. She just like started painting and was like, I'm going to keep doing it. And her, her everything in her studio was seized because she was practicing mm. without a license. What? And then so she was like, fine. So she applied to the Academy de Saint-Luc, which her father was a member of. Mm. And they she was accepted. And so she got everything back and it was fine. <laughs>
1: That's so dramatic.
0: It was so dramatic, but it was practicing without a license. And so she's like, fine. uh." I
1: feel like there are bigger crimes being committed that could take up people's attention a little bit more than someone painting.
0: She was practicing without a license as an artist. So her work was seized by artists and then she was able to get it back once she did it the right way.
1: Um, Oh, I imagined a law enforcement of some sort. I don't think so. I think it was just like they're like, you can't you can't just do that and
0: then she's like oh fine, I'll... gatekeeping yeah I truly it. and then i, I think and then i think she was like
1: okay fine i'll join your stupid academy and then she gets everything back she gets to keep practicing do you think and this is really optimistic thinking here do you think they they wanted her in the academy and this was like an aggressive way to get her there
0: no 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 nope. hey i love I that that's what you're thinking. i think that'd be really cool i want it to be that but it's it's no there was none of that.
1: someone could make a remake of her life and and choose to put that in but it, it doesn't seem likely
0: someone could but they'd be they'd be leaning into a line of thought that i think would be <laughs> anachronistic at best um <laughs> but i love i love how uh enthusiastic you are about it. Um, I thought I'd, I thought I'd air the idea. It's wonderful. Um, Unfortunately, no. So she's, it's 1774. She's a member of the Academy. Her father was a member and all of his friends were. So, you know, she submitted works and they were like, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. And um, so she and her family are living in an apartment and, her horribly disgusting according to her stepfather is basically pocketing all of her funds that she's making from her work and so she's and because you know women didn't have financial independence at the time legally that was okay um and even then though she was still making a lot of money so when this guy named um uh Jean-Baptiste Pierre Lebrun starts like hanging around her she's kind of like i don't need you i'm self-sufficient
1: i happen to notice that uh that's the last name that she ends up having
0: very astute um no, no
1: spoilers here but wank i, I wank. did pick up on a small clue there you did
0: um <laughs> so one thing i forgot to mention she's really pretty like she's real oh, pretty good for her And she uses that. So one of the main tenets of her portraiture that I love is people are very comfortable being painted by her. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it actually is because to sit for a portrait is very arduous and Mm -hmm. like annoying. And rich people did not like doing it, Um, even though, of course, they always did it because they had to have a portrait of themselves. One thing that I love is in her work, the people actually seem like they had a good time.
1: I don't know. They they're are you saying like in did were there accounts of them giving her a Yelp review or are you saying they look happy? <laughs> the Yelp review is the that pictures?
0: the Yelp review is that she was unbelievably successful and um people kept people, more and more important people kept um wanting to got it, her got, to it, paint got it, them. Get it. That's the Yelp mm-hmm. review. The mm-hmm. artistic Actions the art historian, the, the, the kind of interpretation of her work is that all of them look very much at ease. And if you look at professional portraiture, portraiture at the time, you can Mm -hmm. see a difference of, you know, someone who's looking comfortable. Exactly. And, and I mean, she captures incredibly important people in society um, in moments of, of ease and almost casual kind of, it's an interesting thing. And, and so, you know, these end up being, um, she becomes really well known as someone that like you had fun getting your portrait done. She apparently was a great conversationalist. She was really nice Mm. to look at and she Mm -hmm. even sang a little bit. She had a, a pretty good voice and that was something that, you know, she would kind of engage with people. And so all of that is, is part of the package of getting your portrait taken. And, if you were going to get your portrait painted by someone who like was a classical dude versus this Mm -hmm. like young something who's apparently really fun to talk to, who would you pick? Right. And then of course she ends up, her portraits end up being really well respected and lauded because the people seemed like they were comfortable there. So I think it's a self-fulfilling kind of thing. And so She's doing so well, and and she talks about how men were always sniffing around, and she and her mom were both very pretty. So she says that when she was a child, she was really ugly, but she grew into her looks. That's literally what she says, and um, and that you know people start turning their heads when she walks down the street with her mom to the point where her stepfather was like, "You guys can't go outside
1: anymore." Okay, well, he's been a problem this whole time. This so whole time, this we wearing her like ill
0: her father's ill fitting clothes. Oh, it's horrible. It's yeah. Well, I'm glad pressure.
1: she wasn't. Turning heads as a child—that's at least
0: good. I mean, she kind of was because she's a teen, but it was more acceptable.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. And so
0: she's so seventeen seventy-six. What a year! Um, She's (laughs) twenty when she meets lebron and he's a painter, and and more importantly, though, he's an art dealer, and he's an unbelievably successful art dealer. And yes. he presents himself to her family as being much more wealthy than he is. <laughs> so when I say he's a successful art dealer, I mean he's working a lot. Okay. What we don't know at the time, what they don't know is that he has a gambling problem. But it's no. that it's eighteenth century France who doesn't have a gambling problem. Specifically people who are running in the the courts and who are in who have, you know, go to Salon, they're all right. Yeah, they have. They literally a lot of them have gambling problems.
1: It's very that's what common, they do, right? Like they get the, together, they, and gamble. they
0: gamble exactly. So it is not an uncommon thing. But he he basically is like, yeah, I own that house. He doesn't. He just rents an apartment in it, and kind of all these things. But um, she does not want to get married, and she even says in her memoirs that like the entire time that she's courting him basically she's like should Mm -hmm. i say yes should i say no i don't know and even on her way to the church to get married she's still going shall i say yes shall
1: i say no she ends up saying yes did did they get married because she wanted to or because she had to
0: because her mom was like this is a good match he's
1: wealthy you should marry him were there any feelings at all do we know i think they enjoyed each other's company okay
0: i think he was really into her
1: Yeah. I mean, ideally it's, it's reciprocated, but yeah. She,
0: you get the impression, especially reading her memoirs, her, her work was it, that was the love of her life. I mean, that was everything to her. So Mm -hmm. because her husband's an art dealer, he actually plays a huge part in making her very popular. He starts exhibiting her work in their home at the salon and she meets a ton of awesome people And she starts painting portraits of people in the nobility. And that becomes a big deal and an important thing because um, that opens the circle to the Royal family. And this is why we know who Elizabeth Vigée Le Brun is because she painted pretty much every portrait, you know, of Marie Antoinette. And I think Mm -hmm you know, she only has the most wonderful things to say about her. And that could be because it's a retrospective thing. And she's trying to rehabilitate this image of, of a queen. But you do get the sense from other people. And Marie Antoinette's someone whom I've, I've always loved and and read about, and we will most likely cover one day on this podcast. And, you know, she is so maligned for things that everyone else wasn't and uh, it's because she was Austrian and no one liked her, which is sad for her. Um, but so, really quick, I'm going to go back just a second. So, she and her husband, Elizabeth figet lebron and her husband, tour Flanders and the Netherlands, which is super important in her development as an artist because she is able to see Rube works by Rubens and various other Dutch and Flemish artists, and this really influences her work. You can actually see like a shift in her work after 1781. She has a daughter um, named Jean-Lucie Louise and she named her Julie and Hmm. um, nicknamed her Julie. And so uh, she has a little girl and she talks about how she has that feeling that, you know, you've never loved anything more, but basically she and Julie end up having a fairly interesting relationship because her art is still the most important thing to her. Another reason we know Elizabeth Viget-Lebrun really well is because of her portraits with her daughter. So she painted a lot of, you know, she painted a lot of her and her daughter, and it was really sweet. And she, I love this. Okay, so in her memoir, she talks so much about, like, wanting to be, a, she's a conventional kind of person. She actually politically is very conservative. She's a royalist. She, um, you know, doesn't believe in a lot of the Enlightenment kind of I. Dealism. She um, is a big fan of um, Rousseau, even though he was like, women should be in the home. She's kind of like, well, I think I like everything else, he says. And I like working, so I'm going to keep working. But I do believe women should do certain things and blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. um, so she she has this incredible way of painting women with their children. And that starts with her own self-portraits. So she's also f- fairly well-known for her own portraits of herself, which I love. Um, some of them, they're some of my favorite 18th century paintings. Um, but so she has a portrait with her daughter from 1787. So her daughter, Julie, seven at the time. And it was exhibited at the, the Salon of 1787. And it's hilarious. It causes this major scandal because she has an open mouth smile. Mm-hmm. And no one painted people with their teeth because everyone had shit teeth.
1: Was she one of the first? Was she the first?
0: It was literally going against all artistic convention from antiquity. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't show your teeth. And she did. And so much so that Simone de Beauvoir said Madame Vigée Lebrun never wearied of putting her smiling maternity on her canvases. Like, this was something no one liked. But she was like, I'm going to keep doing it because I have great looking oh. teeth. And I love my daughter.
1: <laughs> you can also choose how your teeth look in a painting. Well, 100%. And, you know, <laughs> her
0: self-portraits, of course, Not to, sh- you know, I'm Who sure knows? are very flattering. She was said to have a very lovely smile. So I think she actually did have good teeth. Um, so she ends up causing a lot of um, scandal in her life. And that mostly has to do with her relationship with. Um, and her patronage by Marie Antoinette. She paints over 30 portraits of the queen and the family and the Royal family. And so she, I don't believe she was the official, official portraitist, but in any event, she, she was the queen's favorite. And most famously she paints, um, it's, it's the one, like I believe it's the picture everyone knows of her. Like it's, I think it's her Wikipedia profile page picture. She's in the big official Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. tanye she has the massive hoop skirts. Her mm-hmm. hair is all done up and powdered. It's a huge, it's a physically huge portrait. And it's beautifully rendered. But it's actually mm-hmm. quite amateurish. So, you know, what I think is really interesting is she, um, this is her first grand scale portrait. And so the, the dress has the most exquisite detailing, but like the hand is kind of weird <laughs> and like the face is nice, but it's not amazing. So this was commissioned by, um, the queen and her family to send actually by the queen's mother, Mir To who was the, um, Holy Roman Empress. And, um, And her brother, who was like the co-emperor at the time, because her father died. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they wanted an official portrait of her as an adult, as the queen, um, because she left home when she was like 14. So they had not seen her in a while. And so it's 1778. That's it. 1778. And she is the same age as Elizabeth Vigée Le Brun. And um, so they, they're 23, I think. Right? Math. Oh, yeah. you know I don't know. They were born in 1755, and it's 1778. They're 23. A great age. Whew. So <laughs> that means Marie Antoinette has been in France for over almost 10 years. And so her family wants to see her, and they paint – so Elizabeth paints this incredible portrait of her – and what's really interesting, so everyone talks about, like, the Habsburg features. So Marie Antoinette belonged to the Habsburg um, royal family, and they were very well known for having these, like, protruding lower lips, this, like, weird nose and bulging eyes. That is, like, what the Habsburg look is about. And if you've seen portraits of them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what's really interesting is, so, um, Elizabeth fuget Lebrun, in her memoirs talks about the first time she saw Marie Antoinette, and was she was this stunning woman. Um, this, like beautiful figure. Um, but most people agree that Marie Antoinette was not that pretty. Um, not that that matters, but what matters is that she was not made to feel that beautiful. And Elizabeth Vigée Le painted her in a way that did make her feel beautiful. And I, obviously I think that has to do with their relationship continuing. And so she, it's a very successful portrait of the queen. Um, who is not a popular queen. She never was. And so that really cements the status of their relationship. She so when and it shows a level of trust between the two that I think is really interesting because 1783, one of the more famous portraits of Marie Antoinette is painted. And it's called Marie Antoinette en Gall. And it's it's the one of her in a muslin dress. And this causes perhaps the biggest scandal of Elizabeth V. J. LeBron's career. And basically, to our modern eyes, the queen is wearing a white kind of fluffy dress that covers pretty much all of her body and is holding a rose and looks and looks really lovely and serene. Um, but to the 18th century mind, she's naked. Scandal. She's wearing what looks like her underclothes to them. That actually makes sense. And I don't, it seems like Marie Antoinette even allowed that to be painted of her because she trusted Elizabeth Viget Lebrun, who was very famous for hating corsets and
1: Mm. wanting
0: to wear muslin and cotton dresses. She literally says, I only wore white cotton dresses and you know, it was something. yeah. Yeah. And so there's this trend in fashion at the time and the queen was known for doing it in private, but for an official portrait, it was not something that was done. So this is displayed at the salon of 1783 and it caused such a scandal that they actually took it down. And within less than a month, Elizabeth Vigée Le Brun repainted the queen in almost an identical pose, but in an official court dress. And that's another really famous portrait of the queen. She's wearing this beautiful, blue dress in a very traditional pose and she's holding a rose. And that's also in 1783 and that was completed in like a month, which is nuts. Um, and so there are these two very similar posed pictures of the queen that you've ever Marie when that you may have seen. And I always wondered why I was like, Oh, that's so weird. Maybe she painted her from memory and just wanted to have her in a different like look. And I never knew the story behind why she actually had two very similar looking portraits of the queen And it was because they asked her to do another one so that they could display it in public and people wouldn't hate them.
1: So they didn't just ask her to redo an entire new one. They made her basically replicate the old one just with more clothing. No, she could have done anything.
0: I think she chose
1: to replicate the old one. Got it. I think that was a little
0: choice. Um, So she's admitted to the Academy Royal um, in May of 1783 and... Between 1648 and 1793, only 15 women were granted full membership. She's one of them. So she actually having her husband as an art dealer was not good. You were not, because the the point of the Academy was this altruistic artistic experience. And instead um, she, you know, so you weren't supposed to have any connections with the art dealing world, but she happened to be married to an art dealer. Um, And again, she was initially refused, but the Academy was forced to overrule that because Louis XVI was like, nah, it's my wife's favorite painter. We love
1: industry connections. We do.
0: And so she wanted to be considered a a well-known and a serious painter. Portraiture was not seen as the most serious. History and allegorical painting was. And so she submitted one of her few allegorical paintings that we have called peace bringing back abundance it's a beautiful painting um mm-hmm. so that's one of the reasons that she was able to get in i think with a full membership is she didn't she wasn't able to be pigeonholed into a standard category of painting either history or portraiture she went for this slightly elevated allegorical painting and she did that on purpose she wanted to be among the great men um you know and so mm-hmm she was kind of put in a separate area. So at the time in France, revolution's brewing. Um, France is not in a good place financially. They spent a ton of money helping this little nation called the United States become their own nation. And they forgot oh. that they had their own problems and oh. people were starving. There was famine No one was helping people hated the queen. So they kept saying that she was saying horrible things about people and was spending all this money. Um, Mm. Which she kind of was spending money, but that was literally, she was like supposed to be spending money. It's very, we'll get into it one day. And so (laughs) there's a lot, it's very involved. And so Elizabeth Vigier-Lebrun is actually getting very nervous because she, she just knows that like, something bad is brewing. So she talks about how she's having like nervous fits and she can't eat and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so the queen has such bad press that she's commissioned to paint a portrait of her, in this very traditional role, so it's a it's another famous painting painting of Marie Antoinette. It's Marie Antoinette and her children from 1787, and she's wearing a red dress, which um, Elizabeth J. Lebrun like loved painting women in red dresses. So more often than not, they're in red, which is hilarious. Even though red was like a super Spanish, but that was very in vogue and for fashion. So huh. anyway, um, so the queen is wearing a traditional court dress. She has her youngest son in her lap. Her daughter is kind of leaning into her. The Dauphin Mm -hmm. is um, to her right and he's pointing into an empty crib. And that's because the queen had just lost one of her children. Uh And um, unfortunately, about a year after this painting was completed, the Dauphin himself passed away. So the queen was said to be unable to walk into a room with this portrait hanging and not cry. And so it was actually Uh taken down but according to Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun, the queen reached after and said it was in no part taken down because the quality of the painting; it was just too
1: painful to look at. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: and so this, to me, speaks high, speaks so much to Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun's. Status as a propagandist. We don't think of propaganda as being something that existed before, like the modern age, but it, it's always been there. You know, people have always wanted themselves and other their message to be portrayed in a certain way, mm-hmm. and she's so much a huge part of the royalist propaganda leading up to the revolution, which makes me wonder how successful was she in conveying that message. But according to most, just you know, general historical thought is that the queen's reputation was just so. Damaged. that there was really nothing they could do at that point to make mm-hmm. her better, even though, like, the positioning of this painting harkens to like a Madonna and child. It, it's very the, the whole like Trinity is there. There's you know, she looks fully as a mother. There's an empty cradle to play with heartstrings of uh, you know a recent a, loss of um, it a child. Very
1: humanizing.
0: Also, I mean, it it's is. A mother. Ex- you're right, absolutely, and that was I think the, the it was meant to be that. You're you're right in reading into that. It was meant to be mm-hmm. a humanizing, relatable portrait to combat that bad press and negative kind of Frivolous, perception of the queen.
1: Spend thrifty. Exactly,
0: whatever. exactly,
1: and I think it was
0: just too little, too late, unfortunately.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so 1789, um the revolution kind of swings fully, and Elizabeth fuget lebrun is I mean, beyond upset and beside herself. She ends up having to flee France. And so this decision is made. She leaves France with her daughter Julie. Her husband remains in Paris. And amazingly he's fine even though they have huge royalist co- connections her brother stays as well Etienne he at the time is becoming really well known as a as a poet and also a painter but he's said to just have been like a solid personality and people just liked having him away <laughs> um which I love and he was really adaptable so like during when the royal family was in charge he was a royalist when the revolution came he was a he was a you know a revolutionary and then oh, right. when the restoration happened he was back like he was said to be like and everyone was just kind of solid with it because he was a, he was a good guy um right so to kind of frame this the royal family's arrested in October of 1789 and like the next day Vi bra flees France because she knows she talks of a harrowing incident where armed people come into her room and basically tell her, like, you're going to be arrested. You need to you need to gather everything up. And they're going to, like, ransack her house. It, it's very
1: scary. So those people were the people who were planning on harming her? Or they were actually in good faith warning her?
0: Interesting you should say that. Most of them were intent upon harming her. Two of them came back later that evening and said, we're actually your neighbors. We're, we're telling you, you actually should get out.
1: Interesting <laughs> like, that they would threaten her as opposed to just being violent while they're there.
0: Well, I think what happened or was give, they were-
1: give her an opportunity to leave.
0: I think that's kind of what it was. But for many of them, it was to threaten her. It was to show that like, you know, you you royalist people aren't in
1: charge anymore. Vive, vive la revolution, right? And Got so- they were, they were just going around threatening people in general. Yeah.
0: And it was a time where, you know, you didn't know who was going to live and who was going to die. You didn't know who was going to win or lose. And- in that moment when everything's falling apart, you know, her neighbors are probably scared for their, themselves. And so they're joining in with the revolution, but they probably actually really liked her and said, no, 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 really, you should leave, you know? And mm-hmm. so. It sounds like a really fun situation. It it it's, it's harrowing to read even. And she's writing this like 50 something years after. Um, And it's still a harrowing situation for her. And so. Oh yeah. That's a real that's a real trauma moment. Yeah, absolutely. So her husband remains in France. She and her daughter leave. And she talks about going, and they're going to go to Italy because she had always wanted to go to Italy and instruct herself and improve herself as a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of frames it that way. But really, she was, she was escaping and she had to go into exile. Right. Um, she ends up not being able to come back to France for 12 years. And hubby stays behind? Hubby stays behind and is forced by revolutionary forces to divorce her. Okay, that's cool. But they still end up being fine. By the way, at the time, she had made over a million dollars. Like? A million francs in their own time. Not adjusted for inflation. I have no idea how much money that would actually be today. She was so successful before the revolution. She had made over a million francs in their own time.
1: I wonder if that's like a billionaire.
0: I don't know. But all I know is that she barely saw any of the money. Her husband squandered most of it. And so when she left France, she only had a couple of like, she had like 80 florins or something.
1: Okay. That's infuriating. It's
0: unbelievably infuriating. She talks about him. It's so weird the way that she talks about it. She's like, he wasted all my
1: money, but like, I guess he was a good guy. (laughs) I mean, maybe they were happy together and that's probably worth something. Yeah. He he because being married to somebody you don't like is really a problem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. At the same time though, why is he squandering her money? Squander your own money, buddy. He did.
0: Don't worry, he did. Um Great. He squandered all the money. But he also was unbelievably instrumental in rehabilitating her image. So, he Pros and cons, fun. Truly believes in her as an artist, which is also, I mean, most women artists that we hear about from this time period, once they got married, were forced to quit painting and she was allowed to continue. And I do use that word right. allowed. So yeah. Um, he's got his pros. He's got so many cons. Um, But anyway, so she leaves and she goes to Parma and every time she like enters a new city in Italy, she ends up getting elected to their Academy. So she's like a member of the Academy of Parma in Rome, in Naples. And she starts painting. She, this is like one of her more prodigious periods of time, 12 years. She spends, I think seven of seven and a half of them in Italy. Um, mm-hmm. She paints like every important Royal person. Italy at the time you have to understand is not one country. It's a, it's a collection of uh, principalities and city States. And, She runs into a ton of expats. She lives in Rome for a long time. She lives in Naples for a very long time as well. And um, she meets um, all of these very famous kind of women and and men as well. And she becomes extremely well-liked and well-known all over the world. And this is instrumental. She ends up going to Austria for a long time. And more importantly to me, because of who she meets, She goes to Russia and she's there for about six years. And she basically was received by the nobility and aristocracy and more importantly, by the imperial imperial family and Catherine the Great herself. And so she ends up painting a lot of members of the royal family, the imperial family, and Mm -hmm. um, becomes very well known for that. And what's interesting is at this time in her memoirs, she begins to talk less of like her own thoughts and just kind of what she did. I think she was just so busy. You just get the impression. I mean, here she is a single mom. She has to provide a governess for her daughter and is supporting herself. She's truly supporting herself and her daughter completely on her own. And she is painting an absurd amount. Every other sentence is, and I did a portrait of this person. I did a portrait of this person. Um, Does she get to keep it this time? Keep the money? It seems like she does, Mm -hmm. but of course she's spending it because she needs to give her daughter an education and she needs to Mm -hmm. um, live in a house. And, you know, she has all these servants and she talks a lot about being in Russia. And it's just a really interesting time um, for her and she was made a member of the Academy of Fine Arts of St. Petersburg. Um, you know, she so she's as she's traveling around Europe, you see so many interesting portraits of these really incredible people that she's meeting and getting to run in the circles of. And and she starts painting um off like women as something so in the style of and it's a more of an allegorical approach. So Um, she paints Emma Hamilton, Lady Hamilton, who was like this really notorious lady that again, another one I'm sure we will talk about one day who started as like a nobody and ends up marrying, um, a very important uh, English noble just because she was really hot, I guess. Um, so she paints her in as, um, as Sybil, as Bacante, as Ariadne, as, um, you know, all these different kind of allegorical Mm -hmm. poses Mm -hmm. And um, she talks about the painting of Emma Hamilton as a civil, so much in her memoir, it's widely considered to be her favorite painting that she painted. Um, So, you know, she's showing herself and the neoclassical influences and kind of as she's traveling, you're really seeing her absorb and, and kind of, you know, see as the styles change, she adapts and she works with it. And I think that's really interesting. It's to me a mark of a, of a true artist because she's following her own artistical development and, and the, the times as well. And and as she's learning, she's implementing it. And mm-hmm. so while in Russia, her daughter meets a secretary to the director of the Imperial theaters of St. Petersburgs to St. Petersburg and falls in love and wants to marry him. And she's like, 19 or something at the time, which is a good age for marrying. And Elizabeth is not a fan of him. And at this time, the mother-daughter relationships kind of strained. They've been moving around a lot. It would be a very difficult way to grow up, I imagine, without your dad and um, truly in exile. And though you're comfortable, you know, you're you're moving around every couple of years. So you and can imagine mom's if- busy. And mom's busy and mom is like, no, art's my thing, you know?
1: Right, right. And so, which when she gets older, if she gets older, I don't know where this goes, but <laughs> I feel like when you become an adult, you, you start to understand a little bit more. But as a kid, if you're, if your mom is always off painting, you're like, why isn't she with me?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And, and so even though she spent a great deal of her time painting her daughter, which I think is so interesting too. um, So they kind of have a falling out because Elizabeth doesn't want Julie to marry the secretary julie's like you need to elizabeth's like well i need your father's permission so she writes to her her, you know she writes to her husband
1: -husband Mm ex-husband
0: at the time but still
1: they they by law yeah
0: yeah um and so she the letters take a while because they're in russia And they need to go to France. And the daughter's like, you didn't write to him. You're faking it, whatever. And she's like, no, it just takes a really long time. And finally, the dad's like, yeah, I guess they can get married. And so they do. Um, And, you know, she basically talks about how that was kind of like the nail in the coffin of their mother-daughter relationship. Um, At the time in France, everyone's been executed during the Reign of Terror, even the people who started the Reign of Terror, and there's a campaign to rehabilitate a lot of other people, uh, a lot of uh, emigres, you know, expats who had left. Um, and she was able to return to France in 1802 for the first time. And of course, she did not come with her daughter. Her daughter stayed, I believe, in Russia. And so she was still traveling around. She went to London in 1803. I believe she painted a portrait of the Prince Regent, who um, is George III's son, and um, And she goes to Switzerland a bit. She goes to Geneva. She becomes a member of their academy. Um, You know, she ends up kind of being with her ex-husband. They end up just kind of like chilling out again. And unfortunately, in 1819, Julie, her daughter, passes
1: away. And... um, Do we we know what the daughter passes away from?
0: I don't. I think she just... I think she was ill. I think... Yeah, it just seems like she kind of wasted away. I think... She was able to see her again. I think they came out to France and were there for a while. And um, Elizabeth was able to see her um, and just basically said she was like wasting away. It was pretty sad. Um, and so she's still traveling around. Napoleon's important. Napoleon's not important. Blah blah blah. There's a restoration monarchy. They come and go. Politics. And all the while she's <laughs> still painting, 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 painting. And. So she purchases her own house and kind of goes between um, there and Paris. And on the thirtieth of March in eighteen forty-two, she lives until she was eighty-six. She passes away. Wow. And she spends a lot of her like between two years in her later life. So when she's in her early 80s, she, she writes and publishes her memoir. So she's definitely an older woman at the time and she's having to slow down a little bit. But even so, her epitaph says, ici enfin, je repose. So here at last, I rest. I love that. Me too. Just one of the most prolific and incredible painters. She, I, she really captured an era and actually a couple of them. She captured a pre-revolutionary aristocracy in a really magnificent way. And she captured these people who we read about in books in a way that makes them so alive and real and not just these stale portraits. And she was able to travel in such an incredible way. And she starts to display, you know, as she's painting, she's displaying all these, incredible people and queens and princes and princesses that she's meeting and she's painting them all and she's inspired. And I love, she just seems to be able to influence her sitters so much because she's able to say like, you know, I I think she's able to suggest how they pose and in what they're holding and what they're even wearing. And that's, that's a big deal that demonstrates a lot of trust. Um, so She just left, I think, such an indelible mark on the art world and especially as a woman and a mother to continue to be able to work the way she was, um, obviously out of necessity, but um, it's just really inspiring. And I've always just loved her paintings. I think that's, I've just loved them. Um, And I can't wait for us to post all of them all the time.
1: 700, you said, right? I think Six hundred and sixty portraits and two hundred landscapes. Great. So we'll have a couple days dedicated to landscapes and then the rest of the days will be dedicated
0: to portraits. Exactly. Um, One of my favorites, and I think it'll be the one that we display first, is from 1782. It's called Self Portrait with a Straw Hat. And there's a I just want to end on a fun anecdote of hers when she traveled to Flanders and the Netherlands in 1781, she saw Peter Paul Rubens, "Le La Chapeau de Pays," And it's meant to be like, Oh, here's like a straw hat painting, but the woman in the painting is not wearing a straw hat. so there's this like classical, there's this like joke running around of the old masters. So Elizabeth Vigée Le travels and sees the painting. And basically this self-portrait is her version of that. But she, of course, paints herself wearing a straw hat, an actual straw hat. So she's correcting a mistake, um, and it's just a wonderful painting of a woman. You get her personality, and she's holding her, um, her what's it called, palette. That's it. She's holding her palette, and she's mid painting. And I,
1: hmm. yeah,
0: I, mm-hmm. I can't wait for us to get to see more of her work and to understand the journey of it. And it's, it's exciting. To get to learn more about her and to learn some of the stories behind some of the paintings I've I've loved for a long time. So, yeah. Lovely. And a she perfect. was 86? Sorry. Yeah, that's wacky. If you think about what she saw in her lifetime, she was born in 1755 and dies in 1842. Nuts. I mean, it Nuts. makes the
1: epitaph make sense. Right? She's like, oh, mm-hmm. finally. <laughs> but, I mean, very cool that she was doing so much. That Absolutely. she was like, I, I feel like I deserve this rest now. <laughs> Absolutely, one hundred percent. I deserve a nap. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I love it.
0: So that's Elizabeth
1: Viget-Lepin. Wow, a beautiful, beautiful telling of a woman's life. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for imparting this wisdom. And for inspiring, hopefully, a bunch of people to maybe go learn about her more or just stay tuned for all those images. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to also see them on our Instagram. Yay. Me too. I'm going to send you all of them. It's going to be great. I can't wait to get 700 text messages. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Amazing. I will see you or hear you next month. Amazing. Amazing.